0: This is the Mooncast. Welcome to the Mooncast. So today we're going to be talking about different market updates, such as PayPal introducing a new stable coin, and we also have MicroStrategy and their Bitcoin updates too as well. And security hacks and a plethora of other different news. So I don't want to waste any more of your time. So let's just jump right into it. So the first piece of news here, we have Arkham Intel Exchange goes after DuQuan crypto wallets with first bounty, right? So when we scroll down here and we can see here the controversial Arkham Intel Exchange approved its first ever bounty hunt on Monday, right? And it goes on to read, it says, after two crypto sleuths uh, found evidence of crypto wallets belonging to Duquan, right? And the article goes on to read, it says, the platform had posted a bounty requesting more information on former Terraform Labs CEO and now international fugitive, right? As you guys know, Duquan, if you guys don't know, or you're just now entering the market as of recent... So, Luna was the protocol that Duquan had founded, right? And it, and it, it implemented a mint and burn mechanism with um, this stablecoin, right, called UST. And so, basically, there ended up being a death spiral between UST and Luna, and the protocol ended up crashing, and a lot of people lost a lot of money, and also a lot of people were highly leveraged on Luna. They, people had locked liquidity with Luna, people had funds in UST and both of them ended up going to zero. Also on top of that, you had companies that borrowed money to be able to invest into Luna and or it, it did some kind of equity agreement to get more Luna, right? And one of those companies is 3 Arrows Capital, which I think we'll get into later on in this particular podcast, right? And so Anyways, just to continue, just to give you a little bit of a background story, it says an anonymous blockchain sleuth and a pseudo anonymous one who goes by Ergo BTC won a payout of nine thousand five hundred and nineteen point twenty six Arkham worth around four thousand nine hundred and fifty dollars for successfully completing the bounty and gaining approval approval from the platform. Terraform Labs saw its stablecoin TerraUSD tear USD and cryptocurrency Luna collapse. Yep. As I just ex- explained, Um in May 2022, it was one of the largest crashes and collapses ever in the industry. And the SEC charged Duquan with securities violations for allegedly selling unregistered transactions of crypto asset securities, failing to provide full and truthful disclosures and repeating misleading information to investors. Right. And so, yeah, basically, that's what this article is about. It's about this b- uh, bounty that ARC was able to do, and it says launched. Uh, it says Ark Intel Exchange says it was launched on July 10th, and it says that it incentivizes users to find on-chain data via a bounty system. Anyone can seek information by posting a bounty, though the submissions must be approved by the platform. It successfully, if successful, bounty hunters earn rewards, and whoever posted the bounty keeps the information for 90 days before it's disseminated to arkham community the platform has stoked controversy in the crypto community with some critics arguing that the platform could be used to dox innocent people this is true but there's always a trade-off that comes with both right but if you want to start catching these uh, criminals you know such as duquan and so on you know you have to create these sort of incentives and incentivization models and so on to have sort of this decentralized community policing right I think it's very important moving forward as we're able, as a community in in the Web3 space, to be able to police ourselves and to be able to govern ourselves, right? Because that's the entire aspect, the whole crypto ethos, right? Is a decentralization self-sovereignty, the the self-governance type of implementation with community building, right? All in combination with one another fostered up into a pot and stirred together to formulate one cohesive beast, right? And yeah, so that's basically the Arc Intel Exchange. So if anyone that's interested in trying to become a bounty hunter, you can go check that out. And you can yeah Google that and check that information out and do your own research on that. But let's go ahead and move on to the next piece of news. So over here, we got Binance to scale up services on new Japan platform in August, right? So the CZ, CEO of Binance, CZ, gave timeline by video to Tokyo Conference. Another executive says Binance co- could launch a Japan stable coins, right? And when we go on to the next article, it says here the Binance plans to first list 34 tokens in Japan as it re-enters the market, right? So it's the latest news, right? This news came out on August 1st. So you guys will see this as the podcast comes out on August 14th, right? So moving forward, it says Binance Japan, which is expected to launch fully in August, plans to initially list 34 tokens, meaning it would instantly offer more tokens than any domestic rival, right? So they're trying to compete with anybody that's basically domestically in Japan, and they sort of want to penetrate the market aggressively as much as possible, right? And uh, CoinPost reported today that Binance also plans to list BNB, making its native token available for the first time in Japan. In a statement shared by the block, Binance said that the new customers in Japan can gain access to services including spot trading, earned products, and its NFT marketplace, right? And so CZ, the founder and the chief executive of Binance, said in a Twitter video in July that the world's largest crypto exchange has been trying to reenter the Japanese market. It is fantastic to see Japan being a leader in the Web3 regulatory environment. CZ continued to say, right? He also says that Japan has very clear regulations from 2017 with crypto exchange regulations. And more recently this year with the opening of the of up of crypto listing frameworks, as well as in June, the passing of the stablecoin regulations, right? So to that end, Binance is extremely happy to be able to participate in the Japanese market again from the acquisition of the SEBC platform last November, and we're going to launch the full service in August, right? And so, yeah, that's basically the Binance is trying to re-enter into Japanese market news. I guess some of the hot takeaways that you can take away is that Binance is just looking to just expand as much as possible. You know, they kind of moved fast and broke things first, and now they're trying to catch up on regulations to make sure that they have all the licensing and all the different sorts of documentation, everything that they need. But they do have the brand recognition and the first mover, kind not really first mover advantage, but the brand recognition because they weren't the first exchange to really launch. But they were the first exchange to really launch correctly and do things correctly and not scam people and not intermingle with customer funds and all these different types of things. So they have a built up trust within the crypto space. And also, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, they are the first exchange that also then launched a blockchain as well as a vertical within their a vertical integration within their business model, right? And so you do have the BNB token and they are launching layer two as well because it can be more scalable for the next bull run. As we know, it might get pretty crazy. As you guys know, all the ETFs are launching and you have all these different big, big, huge wealth funds and hedge funds trying to get into the crypto space and be able to launch a spot Bitcoin ETF and start investing into these tokenized assets and stuff like this. So let's go ahead and move on to the next piece of news. So we got Axie Infinity Creator to develop a new game in partnership with Cyber Kongs, right? So it says your Sky Mavis executive Kathleen Osgood said that the catalyst for the revival of a blockchain gaming would be an experience that you know, understands the motivations driving users into Web3, right? The article goes on to read. Sky Mavis, the company behind the popular play-to-earn blockchain game Axie Infinity, has announced a partnership with the Ethereum-based non-fungible token collection Kongs, to create a more comprehensive gaming ecosystem for the Ronin blockchain, right? So let me just try to decipher this for you guys, right? So Kongs was an NFT project that... Basically, you you bought the NFT and then they gave you these tokens. I think they were banana tokens. Right. And these tokens were valued at such a high rate. People were making around 10, like five figures every single month. Um, some were making just crazy amounts of money because they bought multiple of these NFTs. And they were just basically printing money for holding and staking. I believe it's either holding and staking or just holding the NFTs and people are going crazy crazy. Uh, With this particular uh, project for a while during the bull run, right? It got really insane, and Axie Infinity was the first big play to earn implementation in crypto, and they blew up a lot because people were able to earn games. It got crazy in the Philippines, right? So to the point where the government found out that people were quitting their jobs to just play Axie Infinity, and they were making ridiculous amounts of money for their for their economy, right? So making a few grand in Philippines is a lot. You're like. Rich there, right? Because the cost of living is so low. So people were making anywhere up to low tier uh, four figs, up to five figs every single month playing Axie Infinity and earning rewards, right? And then uh, they ended up launching their own blockchain. I believe their blockchain got hacked, if I'm not mistaken, right? And it was called the Ronin blockchain, right? Uh, I think it, it, I don't know if it was their own chain or if it was a layer two on top of Ethereum, right? Uh, So I'm not entirely sure because I didn't look so much in the chain, but I just saw it. I think it got hacked and it it didn't go so well. The initial uh, launch of the blockchain. So let's give you guys a little bit of a backstory and everything that's going on in regards to that. So in the announcement, the company also teased the creation of a new game, though it only provided scant details about the upcoming game development. However, Kathleen Osgood, the head of business development at Sky Mavis told Cointelegraph in a statement that a new game will be interoperable by integrating with existing Axie Infinity experiences, right? Apart from a new game, the announcement also highlighted that Cyberkong's Play and Collect game, a polygon-based blockchain game that integrates uh, soul, soul-bound tokens and allows players to collect NFTs within the game, is also migrating to the Ronin blockchain, right? So, yeah. They're also going to uh, move into the Ronin blockchain too as well. According to the announcement, the move of Ronin blockchain will allow Salary to expand its user base by accessing Ronin's core gaming community. So I don't know how big the, the Ronin core gaming community is, but here you can see a chart of Axie Infinity sales volume soared in 2021, but slowed through 2022 and 2023, and three, which is obvious because we're in a bear market. So the liquidity is dried up, right? And so this is just basically as a normal chart, you know, where obviously we're on the up and up um, before, you know, uh, before 2021 and like in the 2020 to 2021 and then 2022 started dying off and then 2022 to 2023, the chart continues to peel off into more of a bearish pattern, right? Which is super um, normal. Again, when you go into these uh, bull and bear cycles that we have and like i said we're all waiting for the next bull cycle some are saying a lot of analysts are saying and thinking that the implementation of play to earn will be extremely important and huge within the crypto sphere moving forward if you look at the total market cap of the gaming sphere it's not that large i don't want to get into it right now but we can we can um, you can go on cone market cap and you can check that yourself but currently right now it's still in the billions. So people are are some people predicting uh, a couple trillion in terms of market capitalization within the Web3 gaming space, Um, in terms of extractable value from from the legacy space into the Web3 space with these more play to earn shared economy type of models where everybody's kind of being able to, to win in a sense, you know, I always bring up the implementation of potential metaverse and gaming kind of meshing together in the sense of, okay, say this metaverse kind of blows up and it starts getting a lot of users, then the land on the metaverse that people buy will be very, very valuable, right? And you could leverage the land to do multiple things like um, you could lease the land to sponsors, right? Because you can showcase that you're getting X amount of traffic from people who are in within this metaverse that are going in and out of your land. And so advertisers want to maybe launch a billboard or something like that, or even e-commerce, right, On the in the metaverse, right? So you could play around with it like that, The the warrior or your metaverse character can go and learn and, and go and up their skills like within the metaverse, and they can take those skills to then work an actual job within the metaverse, you know, it can get really insane, you know, the, the imagination that you can have in regards to the metaverse and how it can be meshed in with gaming in this sort of uh, meshed coexisting ecosystem, right? So when we continue the article, right, it just goes on to say Axie became a popular game in 2021 for introducing a new pro- pro- paradigm in gaming called the play-to-earn, right? And so that's basically everything that we already know, and we won't get into that much. But yeah, that's pretty much it for this article and Axie and Cybercon. It's a very interesting partnership. It's very strategic. We'll see how it works they can both leverage each other's communities in my opinion to be able to facilitate more users because the main thing you in crypto that we're struggling with is onboarding new and new users over the course of time because we're trying to extract value from the legacy system right that's the entire point extract as much value as possible within the legacy system to then um, build new systems within the web3 space that are more fair inclusive and transparent and, decentralized, and Yeah, so let's move on to the next piece of news. So ZK Sync's largest lender struck by 3.4 million exploit, right? So again, with these exploits is again guys, where I'm getting a cybersecurity course so that I can be able to help to mitigate these types of issues from happening. As I do see that there is more and more, it's becoming more and more prevalent of projects, businesses, all these different types of things and entities getting hacked. So I want to start to try to create solutions to be able to solve this problem, right? Because it's a a multi-billion dollar problem of lots of money and liquidity being lost, stolen, and not secured. And um, so, yeah, I think people need to get back to the understanding of security within the digital space and take it very seriously to implement and have sort of uh, baseline features that are able to be utilized to to prevent any sort of... uh, um, Opsec, you know, operational security measures from from you know um, attacking their 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 business, right? And so when we look at it, he says the article goes on to read. It talks about airland right, the largest lending protocol Ethereum scaling blockchain ZK Sync, right, has been hit by a 3.4 million read-only reentrancy attack, according to blockchain security firm Certic. If you guys don't know, Certik is the biggest auditing firm or the most well-known auditing firm in crypto. So whenever they report something or whenever you know you're looking to test these sorts of protocols, see who is auditing them, right? Another big one is M Labs, but CerTIC is also huge too as well in the space. So you kind of want to see when you're checking out these dApps to see if they're good enough for you to deploy capital in to see who audited their app right who audited or adapt in this case the sensors application right so when we are looking at the total amount of capital locked in the era slump slumped to 10.75 million from 18.5 million following the exploit defi llama data indicated right we've experienced a security incident on how or or on our platform today the threat has been contained We've suspended all borrowing operations for now in the vise against depositing USDC. Um, we're working with partners in cybersecurity firms to address this. More updates to follow. And so, yeah. So again, another one of these situations again, where, you know, you have these platforms again, they're very, very, very nuanced. and It's very, very new technology. So there, there is a lot of capabilities for stuff to be hacked. So you guys need to be mindful in doing your own research and seeing if this is a safe enough platform for you to deploy your capital. It's up to you as the user and not the protocol itself. If you think and distinguish that it's a good and safe enough investment opportunity for you to be able to allocate capital towards and, you know, see either price appreciation or see some sort of passive income or a combination of the two. It's up to you. Right. So you have to do your own due diligence. That's why I have this podcast to try to educate and inform you guys on the fundamental analysis and market updates so you guys can make better informed decisions. While also giving you different mindsets and outlooks on the business aspects and investing aspects in the global state. Um, So you can understand things on a macro scale instead of looking at things from micro scale. Right. So moving on, let's go to the Avalanche Foundation creates 50 million incentive program. To purchase tokenized assets, right? So Avalanche is they've had a couple of these programs, right? So let's just take a look at what this one is specifically about. So it says the foundation will use up to 50 million to purchase assets tokenized on Avalanche blockchain in a move meant to showcase the utility of creating on-chain digital representations of real-world things, right? So the article goes on to read, it says, dubbed Avalanche Vista, the program will consider assets across the full liquidity spectrum, including equity, credit, real estate, and commodities, right? So that's very, very interesting. So let's see. Let's continue. It says uh, asset tokenization isn't just the future of capital markets. It's a critical driver of the present. Ava Labs. Present, uh, President John Wu said in a statement, the groundswell of mon- mo- momentum across institutions building on chain has been astounding. And the Avalanche Foundations is taking a big leap forward with this initiative, right? So the initiative follows recent milestones in the field, including securitized tokenization of an interest in flagship KKR fund, the, uh, the Avalanche Foundation said, also pointing to the launch of a marketplace for asset-based securities called Intain Markets. Interesting. So uh, propelling the Avalanche ecosystem, right? The 50 million allocation reflects the Avalanche Foundation's commitment to driving forward a financial system that's more acceptable, efficient, and cost-effective. Through the use of Avalanche's novel consensus mechanism, unique subnet architecture, which which I talked about in a previous podcast. You guys can check that out where I did break down the subnets versus the supernets. Right. And the differences and nuances between them. Right. And the technological innovation, the foundation said. So this article goes on to read, says it intends to accelerate the growth of tokenization and its role in on-chain finances by demonstrating the merits of applying blockchain rails to historical or historically more manual and operational intensive use cases, including asset insurance, settlement, transfer, and administration, it added, right? So the Avalanche Visa is not the first fund designed to propel blockchain ecosystem forward. So like I told you guys, it have had funds in the past. they had have funding in 2021 of 180 million. Um, DeFi investment program was launched alongside a, Aave and Curve to draw in more asset and decentralized applications onto the Avalanche blockchain, right? So super, super, super important. And yeah, so Avalanche continues to invest and reinvest into their ecosystem to grow the user base and grow the amount of applications and the the new sort of innovative toolings that will be the layer on top of the Web2 space, right? So let's continue on to the next piece of news. Here we have Singapore... High court rules crypto personal property, right? And compares it to fiat money. Huge, right? This is just huge. And the article goes on to read says the judge didn't see any difference between crypto, fiat, money, or shells as long as all those objects, physical or not, share value created by mutual faith in them. So, wow, a very, very interesting. So the article goes on to continue. It says, Cryptocurrency is property. Capable of being held in trust, Judge Philip, uh, I can't pronounce the last name. So the judge says uh, of the high court of Singapore ruled in July 25th, right? The judge said he didn't see any difference between crypto, fiat, money or shells as long as all the objects physical or not share value created by mutual faith in them. Again, I repeat mutual faith in them, right? Because that's all money is, right? It's just trust and people believe, right? It has no intrinsic value. The people decide what should be the medium of exchange or the government shoots out propaganda and convinces a whole bunch group of people that this thing is valuable and we should exchange it for goods and services and then people believe it until they don't. Once they've been screwed enough from the rate of inflation to the point where they get squeezed within the middle class to where they can't even afford the basic necessities such as rent, food, utilities and water, right? And that's how that game goes. So the judge continues that he says, handing out, handed down his ruling in the case brought by Bit Bybit against its former employee, Ho Kai Zing. Bybit claimed the staff member transformed around 4.2 million of Tether from the crypto exchange to her private accounts. The court has now ordered Ho, who has accused a non present uh, cousin of controlling the relevant accounts to return the money to Bybit. While the decision may seem obvious, it contains some formulations important for the judicial or this a type of a judicial status of digital assets, right? So the, the judge continues and he says he calls the stolen USDT as well as cryptocurrencies in general property. Even though they don't have any physical presence, the judge says he says we identify What is going on as a particular digital token, somewhat like how we give a name to a river, even though the water contained within its banks is constantly changing. Makes sense. He rebukes the common suspicion of crypto not having any real value, reminding that value is a judgment made by an aggregate of human minds. Get it right. And um, yeah, so the article goes on to say. Um, it says the judge says also, uh, it says it classifies crypto in the category of things in action in British law. That means a type of property over which uh, personal rights could be claimed or enforced by legal action, not by taking physical possession. Right? So. Um, yeah, so that's basically it for this particular article. I don't want to read the rest of this, right? So, uh, basically this judge is basically saying that money is anything that we, uh, uniformly agree upon can be a medium of exchange, right? And, um, the people are the ones who decide through their minds of what that thing that's valuable, that is that medium of exchange for a good service is, right? And that's what they decide that's what they've ruled. So it's a, it's a monumental shift in the mindset and the landscape here in Singapore. And I think this shift will continue to happen in the West and other areas. The West might be the last to, to finally adopt and understand this technology to the extent that they need to, to be able to win. While, you know, developing nations and Eastern nations are already starting to make their infrastructure and implementations and tax laws and infrastructure and all these different types of things to be able to command the Web3 entrepreneurs and the new digital era, right? While, you know, the West, including the US, right, who have been in recent times, pioneers and frontiers of technology are potentially gonna be left behind in the dust as these other countries start to implement and have clear-cut regulations and laws so that entrepreneurs can come there and be able to build and facilitate things that's needed, right, in society to, further benefit the society push push society forward and also higher than people within the local community. So the local communities also win because they're going to have the added value of more jobs, right? So anyways, let's move on to the next piece of news. So yeah, we have Binance Withdrawal's crypto license application in Germany. I find this very interesting. I have a follow-up article to this, right? So let's just read this article first, and then we'll go on to the follow-up article. So to try to draw correlations between them and parallels and see what conclusions we can come up with based off of the research that we've done, right? So when we look at it, we see Binance has withdrawn its cryptocurrency custody license application in Germany, right? And it says here, the article goes on to read, says, the exchange confirmed its withdrawal to Cointelegraph in July 26, nearly a month after reports rejects from the German Federal Financial Supervisory Authority, right? The the BaFin, <clears throat> and uh, the article goes on to read, it says the BaFin reportedly rejected the crypto exchange's custody license. However, at the time, it was unclear whether the regulatory officially denied Binance's application or it verbally informed the company. However, Binance has not confirmed that it has formally withdrawn its license application. A spokesperson from Binance told Cointelegraph that it intends to reapply for a license in Germany with changes to its application, reflecting the changes in the regulatory environment. Right. And it says here, Binance confirms that it, it has proactively withdrawn its BaFin application. The situation both in global and market regulation has changed significantly. Binance still intends to apply for Appropriate licensing in Germany, but it is essential that our submission accurately reflects these changes, right? So the Binance CEO CZ said it would focus on becoming compliant with the European Union's markets in crypto assets, MICA, regulations to offer its services in European countries. However, Europe the European expansion plans have taken setback amid its regulatory troubles in the united states right the crypto exchange is facing multiple investigations in the u.s from financial regulators right the crypto exchange is also under investigation in france since early 2022 so it says before its withdrawal to germany the crypto exchange also exited the dutch market after failing to secure a virtual assets service provider license from regulators in the country the crypto exchange also applied to wind down its services in the U.S. or in the United Kingdom and Cyprus, too, as well. So it seems like there's a full on onslaught on Binance to be able to do the thing that they've been doing for a long time. But now people are just paying attention because the market is big enough for people to pay attention. Right. But they've been operating normally as a business for a very long time. All these different things with the with the licenses and stuff is just basically in my opinion, which I'll get to in the next article, actually, before I tell you my opinion on the entire landscape of this situation with Binance not being able to get the right licensing that they need to be able to provide the services to, you know, these, these regions and areas and states that need it. Right. And so when you when you look here at this next article, where it talks about Deutsche Bank applies for a digital asset license in Germany as TradeFi pushes further into crypto. Hilarious, Right. So it goes on to say the banking giant Deutsche Bank AG has applied for the regulatory permission to operate as a crypto custody custodian in Germany. The bank said Tuesday, the move came just days after asset management giant BlackRock filed with the SEC to create a spot Bitcoin ETF. Right. I can confirm that we applied for the Boffin license for crypto custody. Deutsche Bank spokesperson told CoinDesk referring to Germany's financial regulator. The bank said in February 2021 that it is exploring cryptocurrency custody in order to be able to offer institutional-grade hot and cold storage solution with insurance-grade protection. Right? The digital asset. What does that even mean? Right? What does that even mean with insurance-grade protection? Like, what does that mean? Are they, are they backing up your cryptocurrency with 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 a fiat insurance of up to like I don't know 100 100k backed, 150k, 200k, 250k backed? I don't even know what that means the digital asset custody platform which deutsche bank said at the time would be launched in stages would eventually allow users to buy and sell digital assets through prime brokers and even provide services such as taxation valuation services and fund administration lending staking and voting and more the bank has been active in the space for a while most recently the bank's asset management group dws Reportedly entered into negotiations to acquire uh, to acquire a minority stake in two crypto companies. Deutsche Digital Assets, a provider of exchange traded products, and a a trading firm called Tradeus. Right? Why is this funny to me? Because Binance is struggling to get a crypto alliance from the Buffin, right? And they've been operating for years in crypto. Years. We're talking like over half a decade now. I think they've been around since 2017 or so. Whereas Deutsche Bank, they they haven't even penetrated and got into the market, don't even have any services that they're offering. How are they gonna I, I, I guarantee you Deutsche Bank will get approved before Binance, right? Because uh as you guys know, the trade five bo- the TradeFi buddies and the TradeFi bros want to get into the market and they're pissed that other people have gotten in before they got in, right? So meanwhile, while Binance is being denied the opportunity to get licenses for things they should already have licenses for, you have Deutsche Bank, you have Santander, you have all these different types of banks, and all these different types of institutions that are getting in simultaneously while this is happening. And no one is no one is speaking about this. How does nobody notice that Deutsche Bank is simultaneously applying for the BAFIN license while Binance is getting disapproved for the for the BAFIN license and for licenses within Europe. No one is no one is drawing any kind of question mark with this. And meanwhile, at the same time, they're trying to tell you crypto's bad and people should stay away from it and it's all a scam. Makes absolutely no sense, right? So you got to draw your the conclusions here with seeing where the market is trying to manipulate you and what kind of news that you can compare to combat basically news that you're getting right you got to look at all different aspects of the market to be able to fully understand where things are going right so on one end you have you know crypto uh exchanges being labeled as the bad guy and then you have the, the banks that are coming to try to save you another thing too that's i find funny is that they're offering hot and cold storage solutions right so basically basically it's basically similar thing as gold right where the the bank wants to custody your gold it's once they are custody your gold it's no longer your gold it's the same thing with crypto once they're custody your crypto then they have the keys and it's 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 not your keys it's not your crypto right so they want to offer solutions that's basically similar to fiat in a sense where and i think they know that they have to do this because if they're going to roll out central bank digital currency the idea is that there won't be any need for regional banks, right? What would be the need for a regional bank when everything will be funneled through the central bank digital currency in the central bank? Right. So they need to make themselves valuable in the market for people to still want to use them. And part of that is leveraging cryptocurrency, right? Because then I would give them an outlet within the private sector of something that people actually want, but don't really have the technical know-how to be able to be onboarded to use the thing that they actually want. So the bank is seen as the safe, the the banks are in the trust business, right? So people trust the banks. And that's the reason that they use them and leverage them is because of trust. And so when you're in the trust business, you can try to sort of manipulate things to make other people's businesses seem illegitimate to make your own business seem more legitimate because hey we've been operating this way for years and you guys trust us you know us we're well known we're household name we would never do anything bad what do you mean like we would just hold your bitcoin in our in our in our own custody and we would never take your bitcoin you can always get it whenever you want you just got to pay a fee and that's the thing Why would you pay a fee to the bank on top of the fee that you're always already paying for transactions on the Bitcoin network to validators or to uh, to miners in this case? Right. It makes absolutely no sense. Why would you pay for a fee for a bank to custody your assets when you can custody them yourself for free? Makes absolutely no sense. Right. So these are things that you need to be thinking about when you're looking at the macro landscape of things. Right. So anyways, let's move on to the next piece of news. So we have the Federal Reserve. Raises interest rates by 25 basis points, a 22 year high, right? And so this is something again that we kind of already knew that uh, they were going to raise the interest rates. The markets didn't get too alarmed, right? It didn't get too shaken out. We kind of knew that the interest rates were going to continue to increase. You know, Jerome Powell kind of hinted towards it. So it wasn't anything that was really unexpected, but. What I would say is that they they probably have one or maybe two more rate hikes in them, and then they really do have to stop or just stagnate for a little while again to to see how the market operates. The last previous inflation report came at 3.2%, so 0.2% higher than the previous month. So it is starting to creep up again back towards the upside from what their data and metrics are telling us. But as we know, inflation is much higher than 3% or 3.2%. But we just have to go the numbers that they're telling us. Right. And, uh, yeah, we'll see how things play out, you know, moving forward and see how many more rate hikes they think that they can do. I think that they can maybe get up to like, you know, 600 basic 600 basis points, 625 basis points. And then at that point, they just really have to chill out because, you know, they're going to really crack the system at that point. And you already start to see a lot of businesses are going out of business. You see banks continue to fail. We just had another one, I think in Kentucky in the States that failed. Right. Because the banks are basically operating on one or two percent liquidity right now, and so when you're looking at this aspect of things, you start to then realize that um, the, the system, the, the system that they have in place, and this quantitative tightening can only go on for so long. Right? They have to start easing again, or at least stop tightening. You know, they don't have to stop easing, but they at minimum have to stop tightening, right? For for a while, and th- before they then reverse my theory is been and continues to be that they will reverse in 2024 the math just makes sense the data the analytics in combination with the fact that the bitcoin having is during that time satoshi is very strategic in when he was doing the bitcoin havings because he kind of timed them with the business cycles and the change in implementation of if qe or qt right so that is basically my outlook on that specifically. So let's move on to the next piece of news. So here we see PancakeSwap expands to ZK Sync era network, right? The DEX initially launched on BNB chain is now available on five blockchains. So they're starting to basically realize that they need more liquidity, which is basically where the future is. The future is inter- interoperability. It's why I invested in Cosmos, right? Because I know the future is interoperability and you, you, can't, you can't rely on one chain's liquidity for the duration of your lifespan as a DAP, you need to you need to expand and you know to different outlets, different sorts of blockchains that ha- you can you can pull liquidity, extract value from all of these chains and have an, an interoperable uh, gateway of different forms of liquidity to diversify yourself so that you don't end up you know not being able to work as a DEX because DEX is only work because people put liquidity on and get incentives right for Putting the liquidity on so other people can trade, right? And that's how DEXs work in a nutshell, right? So the article goes on to read, it says the decentralized exchange pancake swap cake has expanded to the ZK Sync era blockchain on Thursday. The DEXs developer, Chef Coca, or, or Coke, Coca, I guess, told uh, Chef Coca, I guess is his name, right? I'm not entirely short. but it says he's told the, the Coindex, right? The move is in line. With pancake swaps plans to expand its user base and increase protocol revenue right at launch pancake swaps token swamp and liquidity provision provisioning features will be available with transactional fees of 0.01 percent of the trading value right so it says here that the farms feature is set to get is set to go live in a couple or in the coming weeks where users can stake their liquidity as i just basically described right tokens to earn cake right so that's the incentives so you earn cake while keeping a position in their lp tokens a liquidity pool is a digital pile of cryptocurrency so we don't get into that too much but you guys get the idea right because we know what a liquidity pool is so we should know that it is i guess we can just read it right so liquidity pool is a digital pile of cryptocurrency locked in a smart contract which increases liquidity for faster transactions as a dex Paying swap relies on smart contracts instead of the middleman to process trades, lending and lottery services for users. The DEX is available on the BNB chain, Ethereum, Polygon, ZK, EVM, Aptos and ZK Sync Air, right? So five different chains to continue to diversify their liquidity, right? And so it says here the protocol held over 1.57 billion worth of tokens as of Wednesday according to DeFi Llama right so it's good that PancakeSwap one or the largest DEX in BNB and one of the largest DEX in crypto right is continuing to expand their services to multiple different chains and yeah I I see the the future as I said is multi-chain but it needs to be seamless for the end user the problem with crypto is they focus too much on the tech and they don't focus enough on the end user right that's where, you know, the value can, can be, you know, exponentially scale once we are able to easy, while we can easily more onboard new users and make it more accessible for, for, you know, uh, people to understand and be able to be onboarded. uh, That's when crypto will see a huge uh, exponentially, it will start scaling exponentially, you know, from that point on. So let's move on to the next piece of news. So over here, like we see Ukraine has raised 225 million in crypto to fight Russian invasion but donations have stagnated over the last year right and so this article goes on to read it says since the beginning of Russia's scale full-scale invasion last year Ukraine racked up the 225 million worth of donations as I previously stated so the article goes on to read it says this is just a small part of the billions of donations Ukraine has received in fiat but the crypto part contributed to purchases of weapons ammunition medical equipment and other Crucial war supplies, right? One year ago, last June, total amount of crypto donations was 135 million, showing the crypto users around the world kept supporting Ukraine through the past year. However, the monthly donation amount stagnated in the late 2022 and 2023, never raising more than 10 million a month since last May, right? March 2022 was the most fruitful month for donations as the war has just started and global support for helping Ukraine fend off Russia's invasion was the strongest, right? So here they have a chart showcasing the Ukraine crypto donations dynamic. And as you can see, the month of March was the largest where they almost had over 100 million just in the month of March alone in regards to crypto donations, right? And here they have another chart here where it's showcasing the different cryptocurrencies that were donated and used. So there was actually more ETH donated than BTC. That's interesting. And also more USDT. Wow. That's very, very interesting. you know. But also BUSD and DOT, Polkadot. Fascinating. Okay, yeah. So you see here you have 79 million worth of ETH. 83 million worth of USDT and 41 million worth of Bitcoin as the top three levels of values that were transferred to the people of Ukraine, right? And so let's move on to the next piece of news. So we see here that Biden had asked Congress for 24 billion in more Ukraine assistance, right? So... Again, another thing I find super interesting and fascinating here is that they continue to take the U.S. tax dollars right, to be able to pay for this war that they're indirectly fighting in. It's kind of like a proxy war. It, it's just weird. It's just really, really weird. Um, but anyways, this article goes on to read. It says that Biden is asking for the 24 million for the Ukraine. Other international needs as he works to sustain support for the war amid signs of softening support among Americans the request which includes more than 13 billion in security assistance and 7.3 billion for economic and humanitarian assistance for Ukraine sets up a potential battle for Republicans in Congress some of whom voice skepticism about provoking Ukraine any more money right or providing Ukraine any more money right as a counteroffensive uh as a counteroffensive wears on and the pr- prospects of the war concluding soon appear slim, the funding will act as evidence of whether U.S. support for Ukraine can be sustained, right? The new funding request, which will be unveiled later Thursday, right? Mom, when was the article posted? This article was posted on the 10th, so Thursday would be soon, right? This article was posted on the 10th. So Thursday will be soon. But anyways, um, where am I at? So yeah, Ukraine, blah, 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 counteroffensive. And yeah, so will be prepared or will be paired with 12 billion requests for the new funding for disaster relief, potentially sweetening the package for skeptical Republicans who have voiced concern about proving more Ukraine aid, right? It also... Includes 3.3 billion meant to fund infrastructure in countries affected by the Russian invasion, an attempt at preventing coercive or Chinese lending from taking hold in those nations. And it includes 4 billion in funding for border security. In total, the supplemental request adds up to roughly 40 billion. So it's even more than what was actually said in the headline of the article, right? So as the impacts of Russia's war reverberate around the world the united states is committed to maintaining strong global opposition to russia's illegal war and yeah so the article goes on to read how long the u.s support for ukraine can continue has been a pressing and open question among the global coalition that's relied behind the the country since russia's invasion in february 2022 And yeah, this article goes on to read and talks about all these different things, but it's basically uh, not so much crypto related, but you guys can look into that and investigate that on your own. But the point is, should we as a country, I mean, by we, I mean, I'm an American citizen, I don't live there currently, but American citizens, should they be funding a war that they don't really want any parts in? You know, and this is one of those things where it's very, very tricky, right? It's very, very nuanced, right? Should you fund a war that you don't really want to be a part of? And also, there's no transparency on where the money and the funds are going to. They say that they're going towards infrastructure and weapons and ammunition and to, to you know, all these different types of things, right? Equipment, food and so on, right? But is it really? Or could it just be that the money is actually going to the pockets of these politicians that are in Ukraine and to the pockets of politicians that are also coerced in this situation, right? To, to be able to get a little bit of extra passive income, right? It could be the case. Am I, am I, I'm just speculating here, right? But no one really has the data of where the money's actually going and if all the money is actually going into the right place, right? We can only speculate and go off of what they're telling us, right? And what they want us to know. So that's my problem with donating and funding these types of operations. And the US is playing a very, sneaky game right because they're using the ukraine to they're kind of fighting in the war right they are they are they're just fighting indirectly russia right they're doing this sort of passive aggressive type of fighting you know it's it's ridiculous it's ridiculous and russia should have ended the war a year ago like why is the war taking so long for them to end you know think about it you know It's got to be a reason that people aren't really looking into as to why Russia cannot defeat Ukraine. Russia is huge and they're seen as a huge superpower in the world. Why are they taking so long to take to fend off Ukraine? Because money was sent to Ukraine. Does Ukraine have the manpower to take on Russia? Do they really? Yeah, they might get more equipment and so on. But do they have the manpower? You know, from my understanding, Ukraine and Russia... Or Russia or Ukraine specifically, from my understanding, the numbers were already skews between the men and women that are available in the country, right? I think it's like 40% men and 60% women. So there's not already not so many men that are left in the country. How many of them are of age to be able to fight in the war? So when I do all those calculations in my head, and I see Russia is a much bigger nation. And I see Russia should be a more capable country to be able to, to win, right? I just don't understand why this war has been dragging on so long, other than the fact that some people are maybe uh, feeding their pockets from all these donations, and there's something else that's bigger, a bigger picture, something at large going on that I can't really pinpoint exactly what, but I just have my suspicions about this war, and more will come as more more will be revealed as the, the time continues and the war finally comes to an end. But yeah, anyways, let's continue on to the next piece of news. So... Here we have Crypto.com secures registration approval in the Netherlands. So meanwhile, Binance is struggling, right, to get their approval. Crypto.com was able to get theirs. So who did they lobby? How were they able to get the registration done? Netherlands is a, is a very friendly country for crypto registration, too, as well. So that's why I'm wondering why Binance was potentially struggling, you know, especially in Netherlands, because I think they launched a Bitcoin ETF there, if I'm not mistaken. Right. So... It's quite interesting to see, you know, um, let me, I don't want to read actually majority of this article, right? But it is interesting to try to draw the the connection and draw the dots between, you know, Binance and Crypto.com versus the institutions like Deutsche Bank and Santander and all these different types of institutions that are trying to get in and BlackRock and ARK Invest and so on. So. Let's go ahead and move on to the next piece of news, but I'll just keep that as a food for thought for you guys to be able to think on your own and see why these things are happening, right? You need to understand the why in the macro scale, because that's how you win in investing. If you don't understand the why for the macro scale, you're always going to be, you know, making the wrong investment decisions or making investment decisions with half information or no information or the inability to draw uh, cohesive uh um, extensive pieces of, of knowledge and research and um, theses, right? Your investment theses to be able to draw your own conclusions based off of them, right? But it doesn't make sense if you're only really getting one side of the argument or no side of the argument, right? So anyways, AI token see lowest weekly trading volume since January, right? Now, this particularly, I'm not surprised because like, so the article goes on to talk, it has a chart here, right? And this chart basically has all the different AI tokens, you know, like AGIX, you know, Oasis Network, Render, which I don't really think is the AI token. I think just rebranding to that. The graph is not really AI token either. They're just kind of clinging towards that because of the AI wave, fetch.ai and uh, injective, right? So, you know, the pump happened, I remember, in November, December ish of 2022. And then it started just, everything started pumping, right? Um, but it was all hype because when you look at these protocols, there's not a lot of user activity in these protocols. Unfortunately, I've checked into H.I.X. and I've checked into Fetch.ai and Oasis Network. So they're just living off of the branding, right? And the DJs were just pumping the, the bags, A.I. But it may be a potential suitable investment opportunity. I think there will be more of an A.I. prevalent narrative come the next bull run. Where these, these tokens will be able to, to to pump more, even more, and be able to make people a lot of money. So maybe uh, something suitable for someone to be able to want to uh, deploy some of the capital in there. Maybe a small amount of percentage uh, of your portfolio. I wouldn't recommend a large amount. When I say small, I mean like 1% to 5% into AI. You know, nothing crazy. You know, nothing that will break your back if you lost it type of money you know but it may be good to now that the, that you see the as you see the um the weekly trading volume continue to decrease since January and so maybe a good time to want to get in right and um for the next leg up of the AI and chat dp and artificial intelligence narrative cuz it will leak into the market stock and crypto markets that will be for sure When there's maybe something nuanced and more innovative and people are hyping it up and it's blowing up on social media and and also the Fed is in the QE cycle, no longer in the QT cycle, in combination with the Bitcoin having all these things happening all simultaneously could leave room for a potential 20 to 50x from some of these tokens. I'm not entirely sure. AGIX would be the one that I would particularly bet on. I did allocate some capital into them and made a nice... Um, return, right? And they make a nice like 10 or 12 X or something like that at the lows and sold around the highs. Usually, um, obviously you're not able to time the complete bottom to complete top, but I was able to make some gains and got in and got out as a swing trade. But I would suggest that people to look for also the graph is another one too. If they're going to label it an AI is the definitely one you could look for in terms of blockchain querying, from a multi-chain and interoperable scale, right? So it kind of trying to be like the Google of the chains, you know, in a sense. So I would also look into that one too as well. But yeah, that's pretty much it for the AI news. Let's move on to the next piece of news. So we have your Swap to share trading fee revenue with Cake Token Stakers, right? So basically, um, the article goes on to read says decentralized exchange Pancakeswap is set to share a portion of its trading revenue or trading fee revenue with stakers of its native token to give another use case utility for people to want to stake to the cake token, right? To enable them to earn rewards. And the article goes on to read it says uh, it says beginning August 9th. Fixed-term cake stakers will receive 5% of trading fee revenue from all PancakeSwap V3 pairs with 0.001% 0.05% fee tiers on a recurring and weekly basis. These two fee tiers account for 80 to 90% of PancakeSwap V3 trading volumes. Right. So revenue sharing ties the cake token more directly to PancakeSwap's growth as a protocol. Right so it's good that they're doing an interesting revenue share model and then you see here they have a chart which showcases the different trading fee percentages and it also has liquidity provider share right of those trading fees then you see the cake burn because you do I don't know if you guys knew but they do have a burning mechanism too as well that you guys can look into right and we'll get into that for this particular pod but they do have a, a burning mechanism too as well as a percentage, just get burned per each trade, I, I believe. And then they have original treasury too, as well, a new treasury. And you have a fixed term cake staker implementation too, as well, right? So you, you see the article goes on to read and uh, it says it's the second largest decentralized exchange by trading volume and market share after Uniswap. So, them two are the biggest decentralized exchanges. And as you guys know, they've expanded to five different chains too, as well. So let's move on to the next piece of news. So here we have Tether, right? So Tether reports eight hundred and fifty million net profit for second quarter in the latest uh, attestation report, right? So t- so uh, Tether's making a lot of money, right? From from the stablecoin, right? So stablecoin issuer Tether said that they agent of fifty million dollars, right? Um, in the Q2 profit, brings Tether's ex- excess re- reserves to around 3.3 billion. As a reminder, excess reserves are the company's own profits, not distributed to shareholders, and which the company has decided to keep on the on on top of the 100% reserves that Tether maintains to back all the outstanding tokens. Which they claim that they again. This is so the thing with Tether, right? Is people. They haven't really fully released the reports in regards to see and to be transparent in regards to are the tether really backed by one to one um, fiat. Right. Are they backed by the USD one to one? People don't necessarily know. Right. Whereas USDC is really, really transparent with their reports and you can see everything right as they have everything open in public where tether kind of has everything kind of closed and they had a lot of investigations that people have been really skeptical of them in the crypto market so there's been a lot of FUD fear uncertainty and doubt in regards to tether over the years in regards to if they really are holding assets back to one to one but it says that they do have an extra um backing and safety net of 3.3 billion anyways In liquidity that they can leverage of their own profits in in the case of the event that stuff wasn't backed one-to-one, but again, people aren't entirely sure, right? So the article goes on to read, says the company's consolidated total assets amounted to at least around 86.5 billion as um, June 30th, while it's consolidated total liabilities amounted to 83 billion, right? And so um, it says here, per the latest uh, attestation report reflecting ac- excess reserves of $3 billion, a new all time high, yada, yada, yada. So when we scroll down here, we can see the, the money market funds, the fair value, the fair value of the U.S. Treasury's bills indirect exposure. And you can see the overnight reverse repurchase agreement. And you can see all the, the pertinent data in regards to their balance sheets here where you can see their their cash and cash equivalent uh, and other short-term deposits, right? The US treasury bills that they have, you know, around 55 billion. And you can see the money market funds and all these different things. And you see the subtotal is, is, is uh, 73 billion, right? 73.5 billion. And they do have Bitcoin within their asset allocation, right? And in regard to other different, things like precious metals, corporate bonds. But those are, are, are smaller amounts of liquidity. The main thing they hold that has a lot of liquidity is the U.S. Treasury bills, right? Which is seen as one of the most safest uh, assets to invest in because you get, yeah, a small return, but it is safe. At least you get a percentage of return every single year. And the U.S. has never defaulted on paying people that return right because if they default their debt then the entire global markets we know it collapses so it is interesting to see and then they also the article goes on and it says that the usdt total supply of over 84 billion tokens right and you can see here how much that they have in total and the charts and everything like that right um why is it super important right because when we go on to the next article we can see here that paypal is diving deeper into crypto by launching its own stablecoin with investors with what in here just what investors should know right so this PayPal has added a new cryptocurrency to its roster paypal usd right so PYUSD, right on monday the online payment service became the first major u.s financial company to launch its own us dollar backed stablecoin right Unlike other cryptocurrencies, which derive their value based on how much crypto traders are willing to pay for them, the, the moment stablecoins are typically backed by a physical asset, such as commodities like gold or fiat currencies like the US dollar, which help the stablecoin maintain a relevi- relatively consistent price. PayPal USD is 100% backed by US dollar deposits, short term US treasuries. And similar cash equivalents, according to Monday press release. Additionally, PayPal, PayPal's stablecoin is redeemable one to one for U.S. dollars. Right? Again, this is what they're saying. We don't know. We don't have the data, so we don't really know. Right? This is just what the article is saying. So again, always keep that in mind, and never ever trust. Always verify. So if you verify, then we don't know if it's exactly backed one to one with U.S. dollar. They say. So this the article goes on says it says which means one PayPal USD can be redeemed for one U.S. dollar and vice versa. So PYUSD lives on the Ethereum blockchain. is issued by Paxos Trust Company, right? Paxos, if you guys don't know, they also are very trusted in the crypto space. With they have um, PaxG, which is a uh, gold-backed cryptocurrency type of implementation, right? Um, Which kind of tracks the price of gold, and a lot of people feel more safer. Holding that in actual real gold, but the actual Pax um, G, um, it's actually backed by the actual gold that they hold, which I guess they are open and transparent and do monthly reports on that, so you can check that out and do your own due diligence on that too as well. Just to see how much that makes sense or not for you, right? as a suitable alternative in case you don't want to hold stable coins because if you have trauma made from UST and Luna and all these different types of stable coins, and they, they, they crashed, right? So, anyways, um, so it, it, the article goes on and says, notably Paxos um, was ordered to stop issuing Binance's dollar-pegged stable coin, BUSD, right, which is funny because why would you stop paxos from issuing busd but then allow paxos to be able to issue pyusd again another one of these things where it seems and appears that the big boys don't want to play fair right they're trying to end these other cryptocurrency companies so they can come in and provide the same exact services with less financial sovereignty and less decentralization and uh yeah and and probably even a a really bad transaction fee, right, for users. So this isn't PayPal's first foray into crypto. Last year, the company began allowing users to transfer, send, and receive a number of popular digital tokens, right, like including Bitcoin and Ethereum. Starting Monday and over coming weeks, PayPal customers who buy PayPal USD will be able to transfer it to, to compatible external crypto wallets, make peer-to-peer payments pay for purchases and use it to convert any paypal-supported cryptocurrencies the shift toward digital currencies requires a stable instrument that is both digitally native and easily connected to fiat currency like us dollars right and this is dan Schulman, ceo of paypal he said in a press release um, so uh, we won't get into all the different stuff within this article, but the one thing that I want to say is um, I looked into it, right? And PayPal—they're using an older form of solidity that in their code, meaning that they can revert transactions, right? Which is very scary for some people. So just know that it's not decentralized, right? You're 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 doing transactions on a platform that is a Web2 platform, but does have Web3 integrations in the back end, but those Web3 integrations are kind of skewed because in the code, it allows them to revert transactions from happening or or halt transactions, freeze transactions, right? This is the same PayPal, I think it was last year, who were trying to to find people $2,500 for, for, I guess, tweeting things that that were bad or something like that, right? And then they tried to say, oh, no, we weren't actually doing that, right? So keep in mind uh, before investing into this. A good thing, a cool thing about this this product that is coming out, this this PYUSD is that for the first time ever, these different financial instruments and in Web two companies that we're using, you can now cross pollinate and you know do some form of uh, interoperability between them. Because basically, you only need to support ERC twenty. So say for instance, Cash App who supports. Bitcoin started supporting ERC20 tokens too as well, an ERC20 standard, you could then send PYUSD to Cash App, right? And vice versa, because it's ERC20, right? Um, Same as you can send kind of Bitcoin from Cash App to PayPal, right? Because it's, it's, it's interoperable in the sense of it's just on chain. So any Bitcoin address can accept and receive Bitcoin, but... Again, I would rather prefer anyone that's listening to this to just open up your own Bitcoin wallet or your own Ethereum wallet and secure your assets yourself. And maybe you can use PayPal if you need to buy and and sell crypto. Yeah, I guess that could be a potential suitable. uh, Another um, thing that you can use, another platform, another financial instrument that you can use to be able to do that. Another thing too, it's not bad to diversify the on-ramps and off-ramps, right? Because during the bull run, it gets very, very hard to be able to open up an exchange account because the demand is so high if people try to open up exchange accounts. I remember last cycle was like that, right? And that was my first cycle. So that's something also to keep in mind is uh, it's very, very difficult to open up an exchange cycle. So if you're using PayPal, why not leverage this to be able to on-ramp, off-ramp still smoothly? And if, if all their exchanges, I think who buy and other exchanges are going to start accepting it. You can just buy PYUSD and send it off to an exchange and swap whatever token you want to swap to buy on that exchange. If the exchange is accepting it and then move it on to your your private wallet. Right. And so you control it and you can participate in decentralized finance to do whatever you want or just buy and hold. Right. So, yeah, these are basically my takes from this particular implementation. Um, So I, I would I would hope for people to to keep in mind all the different things. And it's very, very nuanced. But anyways, guys, I hope you enjoyed this podcast, man. And Stay tuned for the next week, man. And peace.